Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Colossians 4, 10 through 18. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Damis send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Colossians. Uh, we're at the very end of Colossians, and um, like today, I mean, like when Matt gave me, here's the passage you're going to be preaching on. We just, we just read it. All these lists of names, people's eyes start kind of going glassy and scrolling back in the back of your heads. Uh, but, but it's actually, it's, it's really kind of fascinating. Um, but before we kind of talk about the finale, if we're going to put it into movie terms, I want to I walk through, because this is what Paul does as he goes through Colossians. And Matt mentioned this, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago, that, like, Paul, like, takes up, like, most of the letter and just kind of introduction. And then he kind of gets you at the end. And I, I thought it would be important just for you all, as you spent, like, two months going through Colossians, like, to hit the highlights of the book of the epistle like so that, that we really understand kind of what Paul is trying to communicate and then why he ends the way he ends it, it's it's not by accident I don't think and so I want to make sure we we catch this so uh, Paul gives like deeply theological instructions in Colossians and I and I and I pulled out some of the verses and I want I want to read these to you so just Maybe you can close your eyes or you can just kind of process what I'm saying here. This is Colossians 1. We're going way back now, but Colossians 1, it says this. He, that is Jesus, he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I mean, this first point, this theological point, 
that Paul wants to make in, in this short epistle is that Christ is first in everything. And, Ma and Pastor Matt preached this, like Christ is first in everything. He, 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 takes, he delivers us from the domain of darkness and brings us into the sun that he loves, into the kingdom of the sun that he loves, and in whom we have redemption and forgiveness. Pastor Matt's been preaching that over and over. Redemption and forgiveness, redemption and forgiveness, that it all happens because Jesus is preeminent. He's first in everything. And that's, that's the very first thing that Paul wants to know. And it's, and it's, and it's theological. I mean, it's, it's up here, so to speak. But then, but then he continues, and, we, and we'll dive into chapter 2, and it says this, and I, again, pulled out some verses. It says this, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, in other words, you know that he's first, he's preeminent, he's talking to this church. So he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, now walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it. And this is why he's kind of writing the letter that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And then he repeats himself for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And you were dead. I think Pastor Matt preached that, didn't he? And you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing, triumphing, oh, I can't get that out today, uh, triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions to food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come, to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, so he says Christ is first, he's preeminent. And then he says, listen, you're dead. If you don't mind, I'm just going to pretend like you're in my church just for a second at Cross Points. And I always tell, can you just turn to your neighbor and just say, I'm dead? Would you mind just a little, I know you're dead. Yeah, we don't like to say that. I know people get a little freaked out. I, ha I had our church do this a couple weeks ago because I preached out of this Colossians passage. But, but it's something we don't talk, we don't like talking about death in, in America by any means. But you're dead. Did you know that? You're, you are dead, but, but you're alive in Christ. You're old, you're old. Your old world is, is gone. It's dead. It's buried. So your, your flesh is dead. All of that junk is dead. But you're, you're alive in Christ because he's preeminent. He's first. All things hold together in him. They're built through him and for him. And we are alive to Christ. And it's, and it's powerful. But we have to be reminded that we, that we're dead. That we're dead. And that's what... Paul kind of wants us to know that not, not only are we dead, but, but that we, we, we don't grow ourselves. Right? That growth happens in Christ. That we were dead, but God made us alive. We were, we were immature, but God, he, 
he creates maturity in us. It's a, th- it's a theme that we see through here. And then, it, and then in chapter 3, just bear with me just for a little bit longer as we go through these verses. It says in, in chapter 3 now, Paul begins to, he goes down just a little bit deeper. And he says, okay, so if you were dead, he says, now if you've been raised with Christ, okay, now, now you're alive. So th- now begin to seek the things that are above. Where, where Christ is seated at, at the right hand of God. And then, not only that, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And then, and then he goes and he says, and here in this, in this place where we're not dead but we're alive to Christ, in this place there's not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, Republican, Democrat, rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic. That's not in there, but I just added that. But that's what he's trying to say, right? Like in, in, in this understanding that, that we're dead but we're alive in Christ, that all of that, Republican, Democrat, rich, poor, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, doesn't matter, that we're all, we're all one in Christ. So then he says, as a result of that, then put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and, and meekness and patience and bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive each other. Just, just as God has forgiven you, you, you also must forgive. And then he says, above all, and Pastor Matt preached so well on this, he says, above all, these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So now, now Paul is like, he's been up here, the preeminence of Christ, the Christology, all of this theology he's talking about. And then he, and then he, he goes deeper and deeper. And then he, then he says, we're, we're bound in love. It's not just up here. It's like how we live. Um, so uh, a couple in our church, um, spent a year in Spain, and um, they decided to pack up, leave everything behind, move to Spain. He's a filmmaker, and he does these incredible films, and his wife's a teacher, and so they taught, and they just lived kind of the good life in Spain for a year, and they just came back, and I got to see all their stuff, and it's pretty incredible, but one of the things he told me about was that in Spain, there's tons of balconies. Anybody ever been to Spain? Yes? You've been on the balconies in Spain. I mean, they're, they're everywhere, right? I mean, just every, uh, all the homes, especially in, in some of the major cities, they, they have all these balconies. And, and so um, I was thinking about this book uh, by J.I. Packer. It's called Knowing God. It's a classic. And in the introduction, he uses this illustration that I think is, like, so appropriate for, like, what Paul is trying to do um, in this book, this epistle of Colossians. And he talks about all these Spanish balconies. And he says there's like two kinds of people. There's, there's what we call the balconiers and then the travelers. And the balconiers are, are those that are in the balcony. And the families are gathered together or friends are gathered together. And during tourist season, there's all these travelers that are winding their way through the city. And the balconiers come out and they're looking at the travelers 
who seem to be lost, confused, and dazed, and the balconiers are able to see things, the city from a whole different perspective, watching kind of what's going on, and in their minds going, if I was a traveler, I would turn right or turn left, or they don't know where they're going, and they should do this or that. And then you have the traveler that's in the middle of the street trying to figure out which way they're going. They don't speak the language. They're not quite sure, but they're just kind of muddling their way through it. They're slogging. I think Matt used that term, right? They're slogging their way through life. And you have these two things. And J.I. Packer, in this introduction, he, he, I think he does something really brilliant. And he says, listen, it's, it's, it's the same when it comes to our spiritual lives. Um, we can kind of find ourselves framed in one of two places. We, we can find ourselves as the, the balconiers who theoretically talk about all the spiritual things in life. Like, we can talk, like, as a balconier, if, if we're not careful, Christianity can just be this place where all we do is we talk about the theories and the theologies of, like, evil. Let's start with that, about, about what evil is and how can evil coexist with a God who's created all and everything and, he, and everything holds together in him. And, and how, how, how does all this work, God's sovereignty and this power and yet there's evil in the world and 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 why and we could talk about those that's like a balconier perspective but but for the traveler who's like in the midst of life like they're confronted with the realities of evil they're confronted with the realities of evil that are all around them and how do they interact with that and how do they come to grips with the questions in their own minds about god where are you in the midst of an evil and depraved world or we could take the issue of sin. We can, we can think about the perspective of a balconier who's looking on and saying, well, we really need to define what sin is and what the lines are and who sins and, and, and where do we step over that line. And, or we can look at a traveler who's actually in the midst of kind of doing life and recognizing that they're really sinful, that they make mistakes and they, they do things that hurt other people and that sin dwells within them. And the questions that I think many travelers have is that, is there any hope for redemption from this sin? Can someone save me from the life of sin? Not just what sin is, but can you save me from that? And so we have these two like concepts of like this balconier and the traveler. And if we're not careful as we read through this epistle, we can stay up here that Christ is preeminent. He's first. He's he's in everything. And then we can look at the theology of the things that we should eat and we shouldn't eat and how we've been set free from Christ and redemption and forgiveness of sins and, and all of these things that are up here. But it doesn't really impact our life. And Paul, at the very end of this letter, he begins to go from this like balconier perspective to a traveler perspective where he begins to say, no, 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 no. All of this theology, it's not just up here. It affects your life. Like if it doesn't affect your life, then then where's the power in it? And so Paul, as we begin to read, we, we see in in chapter three and into four where Paul begins to say, listen, if if Christ really has raised you from the dead, it affects how you live in your life. And so uh, wives, you need to submit to your husbands and husbands, you need to love your wives. And and if you're a slave or a master today, we would say if you're an employee or a boss, you need to what well, why you need to you need to do what needs to be done as an employee. And as a boss, you need to treat them fairly. And why? Like, why are we doing these things? Because Paul would say this. He says, because you have a master in heaven. 
is, see that the way in which we live is affected because we understand the deep theology that's up here, but we don't just keep it up there. We, we walk in it. And so that's why Paul then begins to go deeper and says, listen, it affects every relationship that you have. What we think shouldn't just stay in our minds. It should be proved out in our actions. And that is what real maturity is. It's not just knowing a whole lot of stuff. It's not just being wise. It's actually walking out the knowledge that we have. And that's the rub in Christianity. How do we go about doing that? And so I remember watching Iron Man for the very first time. It was 2008. My kids were two years old. I left them at home with, with, my, with my wife, okay, someone who's watching the kids. And I went to the theater by myself. And if you're a parent, you know how glorious that is just to be away from everybody for just a little bit. And I watched Iron Man, and I went to Iron Man, and I had heard the rumor was that there was an end credit scene at the end of this movie. And so I was like, oh, yeah. Like, this was like one of the first end credit scenes. And so the movie, and the movie was awesome. It was like kind of ahead of its time. And I remember sitting in the theater and like the credits start rolling and half the audience gets up, takes their popcorn, their Coke, and they're out of the theater. They're on to the next thing. And the few people that kind of know what's going on are staying in their seats. And you can hear whispers. Is it, oh, it going to come? Is it, is it really going to come? Is it gonna, you know? And I'm sitting there just kind of hearing the buzz. And after what seemed like an eternity, up pops the screen of this end credit, new kind of like kind of image on the screen. And I had not read the Marvel comics. I didn't geek out that way. I was, I mean, just, just, I didn't know anything. And so up on the screen pops Nick Fury with an eye patch over his eye. And he says some things and he mentions, now he mentions Avenger. I don't, again, this is 2008 before this whole world becomes, you know, relevant to all of society. I, I didn't, and I just sat there going, well, that was a letdown. <laughs> and I, like, literally, I remember that walking out of the theater going, what in the world was all of that about? But the people in the audience, like, no joke, that had read the comics and they knew the whole Marvel world, they were freaking out about what just happened because they realized, like, what was going to start happening all these, they were hoping, like, the, if they've got Nick Fury, that means there's going to be Captain America, and there's going to be this, and there's going to be that. I didn't even know, like, all of these things. Like, like, this is, like, this is happening. And they're, they're coming out of the theater so excited, and I'm kind of coming out of the theater going, I don't know, I don't know what happens. <laughs> Legitimately, I don't know what happened. And I, and I think this is exactly how Colossians ends. He has done a brilliant job talking about all of this amazing theology and how it works. And then you come to chapter four and a few verses in and my eyes start rolling back and I'm like, really, Matt, you're going to have me preach on this. But what most people don't realize, I think, is that if we read between the lines 
there's an end credit scene that's so powerful that will make us walk away from Colossians going, wow. And I want to hit just three verses at the very end of Colossians that hopefully will give you a picture into kind of what takes place for the end of Colossians and hopefully help you see things in just a little bit different perspective. So that's my introduction. Is that okay? <laughs> uh, so I won't, I won't be too long, I promise. Okay, so if, they can, if you can put verse 10 on the screen. So it says this, it says, so Paul, here he is, he's coming toward the end. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Okay, I, wanna, I just want to read that, that, just that one line. If you can imagine the end credit scene now at this point. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. It, what I would put on the movie screen is that we see Aristarchus being grabbed by a violent mob of men who take him to an amphitheater and they all begin to shout. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that there's 5,000 plus men that are angry. And the reason why they're angry is because Paul and his companions have been preaching. People have been getting saved and they're not buying idols. And this silver uh, uh, idol called Artemis was being sold in this area, and sales had plummeted, and it was all because of Paul and his companions preaching the gospel. And, and Aristarchus right here somehow had, ha, had been made known to the crowd that he was a companion of Paul, so they grabbed him and put him in the middle of the amphitheater and started yelling at him. No joke, for two hours, the men of the city began to say, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine that? Like 5,000 men all chanting at the same time, and they're angry at these guys because they're bringing in a foreign god that they don't know, who's not buying their idols, and all their economy is upset, and they're mad and angry. And that's the first scene, I think, that we see. And then, if that wasn't enough, we see Aristarchus, and now he's on a ship in the middle of the sea, and it's black outside, and there's waves and winds, and it's awful and horrific, and the ship is being tossed to and fro, and we, can you see this in your mind? It's all kind of being blown over, and the men have lost hope. They're tossing everything overboard, all their cargo, all their food, everything. they're tossing it over so that they don't drown. They can't see anything. They can't even see the stars, and it goes on not one day, two days, three days, four days, not even a week, but for 14 nights, they're lost at sea in the middle of a storm, and Aristarchus is holding on for dear life, and finally, the ship runs aground, and he and the Apostle Paul find themselves on an island, shipwrecked. That's Aristarchus. If that wasn't enough about Aristarchus, he gets on another ship, and he makes his way to Rome with Paul where Paul is put into prison. And Aristarchus right here, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, in the Greek there, fellow prisoner, doesn't just mean fellow prisoner, it means prisoner of war. And most theologians believe that Aristarchus himself went into prison with Paul, even that there was no charge against him. And Paul uses this terminology to say that he's a prisoner of war, but, but in reality, he's a spiritual prisoner of war. He puts himself into prison with Paul so that Paul can have a companion and not be by himself. Willingly put himself into prison. So we see the movie where they're both in prison. 
And then if I could have another scene pop up and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, flash forward to the island of Cyprus. They're getting ready to make a journey, Barnabas and Paul and his companions, and they're preaching the gospel in this whole area, and they're seeing lots of miraculous things take place. And Mark, as they get ready to board the ship, decides to make the decision that he's going to leave the company of Paul and Barnabas and go back home. And we don't know why he quits. He quits in the middle of a missionary journey and he's done. He's gone. And Paul is mad. And he's not, it doesn't say it in the text, but he's mad. And how do we know that? Because Paul and Barnabas, when they go on their second missionary journey, they want to take John Mark with him, and Paul refuses to do it. And I can only, I can imagine hearing the, like, again, movie scene. You, I can imagine hearing all the things that are going on. That kid, he doesn't know what he's doing. He gave up. He's a mama's boy. He wanted to go back home. He couldn't take it, all the different things that were going on. I don't want to have anything to do with him. He's not coming with me. If I'm going on there, you're not coming. And then Barnabas is like, come on, give him another chance. It's okay. You know, he's, he's young, and he's going to hang with us. He's my co- I vouch for him. He's going to be okay. Paul says, no, I'm not going to do it. And they have such a sharp disagreement. Scripture says that they go their separate ways. But now, in the, in the same verse, in the, if I could put it, the, in the same context here, Aristarchus, who sold himself into slavery or into, into prison with Paul, now Mark is mentioned in, the, in that same context. Why? Because Paul had made up with Mark. I mean, I don't know how. I don't know, I don't know what took place, but... But relationally, they came back together. And I was thinking here about this little passage. Can you hit verse 11 real quick for me? Jesus called justice. These are, these are the only men. Now, referring to Jesus and ju- Justice and, and, and Aristarchus and, and John Mark, uh, they're the only men of the circumstances. They're the only Jews uh, among my fellow workers for the kingdom, and they have been a comfort to me. Here's a guy that, that, that he was angry with and frustrated with, and a guy that had, had put himself into prison, and, and he was innocent, and now together they're a comfort to Paul. Paul. Paul had come a long way. It wasn't just, he wasn't just living up here that Christ is first and that he was dead. No, now he's, he's, he's walking out in some way, in some regard, and we don't know how this happens, but, but, but Paul is now giving him another chance and and this guy now is a comfort to him and which leads me to think about the fact that oftentimes in our own lives we're going to have people that are going to be steadfast and loyal and faithful that are going to be around us and then we're going to have people that stab us in the back we're going to have people that disappoint us people that fail us these are the kind of people that we're going to have to deal with in life and and paul here at the at the end of this passage he mentions both of these guys and i think what he's trying to communicate to us is that that put it this way they'll know that we're his disciples by the love that we have for one another whether they're whether they're those that stick with us through thick and thin or whether they're those that betray us and walk away and hurt us and fail us but we don't let that get in the way 
because, because we, just, we just heard in, in chapter 3 that, that, that if anyone's hurt us, we're, we're going to forgive them. We're going to love them. We're going we're to put their needs above our... We're going to... I think this has been the, the theme of the whole two months, that we're going to grow together in Christ, that we're going to do life together. And Paul here at the, at, the, at the very end is saying, listen, I've had guys that have stuck with me, and I have had people that have walked away. And then the, the very next verse, verse, verse number 12, put that up. It says Epaphras. I think Matt says Epaphras, but it's a dead language. You can say it however you want, really. So Epaphras. <laughs> uh, who is, who's one of you? So he's from Coloss, right? Uh, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. The Greek there is he's in agony. We, we have remembrances of Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's that same Greek word. And he's in agony in prayer over these people that he loves. And if I had that movie scene again, I would see, I would see Epaphras, and he's on his knees, and he's praying for his family. He's praying for his church family. He's praying for the people that he loves and that he cares for. And we see scene after scene of him maybe being on his knees and walking along the road, and he's crying out to God on behalf of those that desperately need to be mature in their walk with God so that they, why is he praying? That they may stand mature, fully assured in the will of God. Epaphras loved well, and so he prayed well. But he also prayed well, and therefore loved well. And I see in all three of these people, like, each one of us maybe can identify with one of these three characters. Maybe, maybe we're the ones that are the faithful ones, that we just, we just kind of do, we, we just, we're faithful. We're there, we, we come to church, we, we engage, we've been here for three years, four years, five years, however long, we, we're just, we just do it. And, and maybe some of you are here and you've been in another church and you kind of walked away and now you're kind of back. Maybe you got hurt, maybe you have some church hurt and it's been hard, and, but, you're, but you're back. Or, or maybe you're you're like Epaphras and you're, uh, and you're and, and you're just praying. You're like God, I, I love these people so much. I want to pray for them. Or maybe maybe you're like Paul and you're like, I have to forgive. I've got to forgive because that at the end of the day, I don't want to just be a balconier that knows all the stuff. I want to be a traveler that takes what I know and walk it out. That I forgive people that I love people, that I grow together in Christ with people. And when I, when I do those things, that's when real maturity is a mark of who we are. So I just wonder if you could close your eyes with me this morning. And I wonder maybe you, you might be able to identify with maybe one of these characters. Maybe, maybe you're like Paul and somebody's really hurt you and they've walked away from you and and maturity for you is like, like forgiving them. Or maybe for some of you, maybe you're one of those people like Epaphras that like you just, you just, you just want to pray. And you know there are some areas in your life where you need some maturity or someone else does in the church. And you're like, man, God, like help me step into that. Whatever those areas are, whether it's being faithful and continuing to be faithful, giving forgiveness. Maybe you're the one that quit and walked away. 
I just want you to know that that God loves you. He gives you second chances. He uses people that we disagree with. Maybe you have someone in your life that maybe you've kind of put on the outside. Maybe God's calling you to bring them back into your circle. I just want you to take a few minutes and just, just pray. Ask God what he would speak to you. thank you for this really amazing congregation of people. Lord, for five years they've been doing life together. Father, I pray if there's any hurts, disappointments, maybe church hurts from other areas or places, Lord, I pray that your grace and your forgiveness and your redemption and your love, Lord, would cover our pray that if there's anyone that we're holding a grudge against, maybe like a Mark who's walked away, Lord, I pray that we would freely forgive them. Lord, I pray for Park City, Lord, to continue to be faithful, Lord, to do life together. Lord, I pray that you would bless them, and may your spirit descend upon them, that they would become mature followers of you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.